This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. I'm not joking. I kill people. I'm exactly the guy type for you. Lately, there are these moments when I feel connected with something else. Would you please stop doing that? Then stop saying stupid things. Talk about your bloodbath. <laughs> Greetings, sociopaths. Welcome to Avenging Angels here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the eighth and final season of the Showtime series Dexter. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my dark passenger, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. Tonight's the night, Charlie. Tonight's the night. For what, Andrew? We are killing off Avenging Angels. Oh, no! Yes, unfortunately, this is episode number 14 of Avenging Angels. I'm, I'm, I'm very sad to say that it's the last episode of the show. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and found our discussions about the final season of Dexter to at least be interesting and thought-provoking. Uh, as always, you can email the show at AvengingAngels at FilmGeekRadio.com to let us know what you think of the podcast. And uh, if, if you've enjoyed listening to us, please, please, please take two minutes, write us a quick review uh, on iTunes. We'd really appreciate your help. Even though Avenging Angels is going away, Charlie and I and, uh, and Film Geek Radio, we are not going away. Uh, you can still find a lot of our other great film and TV-themed podcasts at FilmGeekRadio.com and on iTunes. And we have two brand-new TV podcasts for your listening pleasure. Charlie, you and I just premiered a show called The Briefing Room, which is a new weekly podcast all about the third season of Homeland. So that's fun. Lots of fun. Yes. So far, we've we've had more positive things to say about that show than we have about <laughs> Dexter. I mean, it's only been two episodes, so... Uh... We'll have to see how it goes. We'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have faith that Homeland will be much, much better than the past season of Dexter, so. Well, that's what we said about Dexter after season seven. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> you never know what can happen. You never know what can happen. Our other new weekly podcast is called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Cast, and it's all about the new ABC series Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That is hosted by myself and three other TV critics, two of whom are also comics enthusiasts. So even if you're not really up to date on the Marvel Universe and you're only familiar with it through the movies and the Avengers... Uh, that's okay. There should still be something for you. I know I'm going to be learning stuff about Marvel uh, <laughs> along the way, so that's exciting. We've uh, already released our introductory episode to that and our episode on the pilot. And by the time you listen to this, uh, we might also already have discussed uh, episode two of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So uh, check that out. I think those are going to be a lot of fun. But uh, l let's talk about Dexter Charlie, for one last time, this is our series wrap-up episode, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking back over Dexter season by season, and we're going to be talking about just, just what we thought overall of the show, which what, what we liked about each season, what worked and what didn't, and then we are going to rank each season from worst to best. Oh boy. Let's get started with season one. Charlie, what are your overall impressions of the first season of Dexter? Did this show get off to a good start? The first season of Dexter might be my favorite season. It's when I fell in love with the show. I didn't watch a whole lot of television before Dexter, actually. I think the only other series that I'd watched in completion was Twin Peaks. You just love murder shows. I should definitely talk to a therapist about why I'm always watching uh, television shows on murder. It's cathartic. 
It is cathartic. Um, yeah, the first season of Dexter, I was, uh, just a big, bloody, thrilling, really fascinating introduction into this, the life of this, uh, serial killer. It maybe took like three episodes for me to feel like I really was in touch with these characters, but once I got sucked in, I just couldn't stop watching it. I pretty much binged the first season on DVD in like maybe less than a week. I brought it with me on vacation in the Caribbean. I'd basically be going to the beach every day and then like going out to dinner with my family and then just like locking myself in my room for the rest of the night and just binging on Dexter. And I was probably not the best family member on that <laughs> vacation because I pretty much ditched my family for a television show, which I kind of regret. I really just loved this ep- uh, this season and it it's all about Dexter learning to deal with, it's the first time we see his struggles with fitting into day-to-day life and acting normal and being in a relationship. It's when we see some real struggles of him with his sister and being a blood spatter analysis on the Miami PD and also being a serial killer. And he's starting to feel for the first time. Unlike season eight, when Dexter starts feeling emotions in season one, it feels very well earned. It's pretty fascinating to watch this sociopath learn about love and loyalty and have his own moral code and realize that As hard as he can try to be a monster and go by a certain code, he's still human. And you can't just completely lock everything up, even if you want to. I can understand why you might reject your family on vacation to watch season one of Dexter, because season one of Dexter is just so unlike most other first seasons of television. You know, most TV shows, they start out, they try to, they, they, they want to be for everybody. They want to be as broad as possible. And right away, season one just seems like it's doing everything it can to alienate the audience. It, it, it makes it immediately clear from the very beginning that Dexter is a sociopath, that he is in many ways a monster. He's not like you and me. He's a serial killer. He's very unsympathetic. And the only thing I think that keeps us watching throughout season one is the fact that, one, he's very funny at times. Yes. In a dark way. Uh, The early seasons had some really great black comedy. And also, it's that universal question that's been explored in so many TV shows, from The Sopranos to, to Breaking Bad, just that question of can people change? And to what extent can they change? That, I think, was really interesting to see uh, in a show like Dexter and just think about, well, if Dexter is, is actually ill in many ways, he, he's, he's a mentally ill sociopath, he has mm-hmm. a psychological condition, to what extent can he change? And that was fascinating to me. And uh, if that wasn't there, I'm not sure how willing I would have been to, to, to follow this guy. Oh, yeah, because it's amazing to think about how far Dexter, how much Dexter has changed, and I think for the worse, uh, by season eight, because I, I think that's another reason why I love season one the most out of any of them, because it's kind of like American Psycho in some ways with very dark satire. What I liked about season one of Dexter the most is that he also learns about the importance of family in a way that is not sappy and not beaten into the ground by the time you've gotten to season eight. And it's very strangely moving for watching a season of television where a serial killer learns about choosing loyalty over certain people that he loves that he never even thought he'd feel for another human being to begin with. 
Right. And I think that the ice truck killer is one of the better villains of the show, mainly because they spend a great deal of the season not revealing who the ice truck killer is. The ice truck killer is just this mysterious force who's going around sort of taunting Dexter and leaving him uh, dissected dolls and, and whatnot. And it's very creepy. And I have mixed feelings about the ultimate reveal about the ice truck killer. Um, on, on the one hand, the fact that it's his brother that he never knew he had mm-hmm. feels very campy, very <laughs> soap opera-ish, almost. I'm your secret brother, Dexter. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as serial killers side by side. It's very over the top in some ways, and yet you're right. There, there's There's enough there in terms of ideas about family and connection mm-hmm. and loyalty to make it work overall. The last thing I want to say about season one, I, I just think that the premise of the show is fascinating. And I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a show with as dark and damaged of an anti-hero as Dexter. You know, I mean, anti-heroes are all the rage in television. I think Dexter, as a character, definitely begins as the most unsympathetic. And I think one of the most disappointing things about how this series went on and ultimately wrapped up is that it never really explored no, it never really did. the nuances of that Dexter origin story. It never fully questioned what it means to be a psychopath, whether Dexter really is a psychopath. You know, if at the end of season one he is starting to feel human connection with people, maybe that means he's not truly a sociopath. Maybe he can change, and maybe he could have been changed as a young man if Harry hadn't uh, taught him the code. That idea of, well, maybe Harry is the ultimate villain of all, that, I think, was, was a fascinating idea that just inherent in the premise. And I was disappointed that, well, like, that while they occasionally touched on it here and there, they never really made a, a big deal about it. And it seems like as the show progressed, the writers didn't want to look back at Dexter as a damaged person who maybe was doing terrible things for completely misguided and actually wrong reasons. Not just morally wrong, but factually and logically wrong in, in terms of him having to do it. Even the uh, the end of season one has, I think that Brian Moser, the Ice Truck Killer, uh, his brother, I think says at one point, you can't be a killer and a hero. It doesn't work that way. And I think that that's part of what was so fascinating to me about the first season is that we as an audience know that he's not a hero and yet he's the protagonist of our show. And it kind of puts us in a weird, like it made me think about like, Hey, why am I rooting for watching a show where I have a serial killer for a protagonist? You know, like we obviously see him as a sociopath, but in the terms of how you structure a story, he is technically the hero. And I feel like that first season in particular did the best job of examining Dexter from a very critical standpoint as to if he is a monster or if he is possibly more human than he believes him to be and is worthy of redemption. And I feel like while they definitely tried to do that later on, uh, I feel like this is the one season in particular where this theme worked best. Right. And it's interesting you bring up that idea about, well, he can be a hero or he can be a killer, but he can't be both, because the writers ultimately tried to have it go both ways. Yep. <laughs> they seem to uh, ignore Brian 
Moser here uh, and, and basically conclude that Brian was wrong. Yeah. Personally, I think Brian was right. Yeah, isn't that sad that, like, thinking back on the first, how the first season ended, he ended up killing his brother to save Deb, and now, like, all of this is completely meaningless. Right, and the also the other thing that, if I, if I recall correctly, the other thing that the ending of the first season really, really hammers in, it's that idea that he, he's loyal to Deborah and he rescues Deborah, but she would never accept him if she knew the truth. Exactly. And, and she would reject him because she's a police officer, she's a cop, he's a killer. That that's just that's that's who she is. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the series would uh, turn out to uh, re- reject that idea. Exactly. There's, I think, at the end when she's rescued by Dexter, and uh, Dexter's uh, either Brian Moser got away, and he's gonna kill him right afterwards. I think the police all show up at the crime scene of Brian's boat, and. Uh, Everyone's getting really suspicious of Dexter, uh, which is funny because <laughs> in the first season of the show, everyone gets suspicious of him. But then as the show goes on and he's re- related in more bloodshed, apparently no one cares and doesn't think anything about it. There's just It's almost as if they expect him to be there. But right. she says, Dexter's just saved me. He's a fucking hero. Like, how can you criticize my brother after he just saved my life? And then, yeah, I think he brings up she would never be saying this if, you know, she knew who I really was. But ironically... Uh, that's how she basically uh, was before she died. So, right. yeah, it's 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 sad to think back on how season eight's ultimate developments kind of nullify a lot of what they explored in season one. Right, and, I, and I'm all for characters changing and evolving, but I think there's a line you cross at some point where eventually, if, if you change characters too much, they're just not the same people they were at all. They're completely different characters. Mm-hmm. That's the challenge when approaching a series like this is how far do you change the characters before the show is just not the show it was? Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily that the latter half of Dexter is a bad show. Maybe it could have been a good show if it was at all linked to what had come before, and it all felt fluid. Yeah, I'll take uh, Dexter with Rita over Dexter and Hannah any day. I agree, and, and Julie Benz, I think, plays a nice every person, just a nice average woman that Dexter, in this season at least, is, is, is really only dating for appearances. Yeah, and then... uh he doesn't even understand, he says at the beginning of the season he doesn't understand sex, and there's a scene in the first season where he has sex with Rita for the first time, and it's a very strange, disturbing, but oddly moving um, sex scene that I remember thinking, like, wow, I haven't felt like this uncomfortable and moved during a sex scene before. (laughs) Like, because Dexter's finally feeling what intimacy actually feels like and right that sort of stuff those small moments i thought were great by the time he's you know having sex with hannah naked for the millionth time i kept thinking back on like how i was like you know when dexter used to have relationships with people it was either very uh thrilling or very uh thematically interesting in terms of why he's with that person and how he connects with them on a level that he feels a connection with uh their damaged self right by the time we get to season eight it's oh look it's dexter's butt <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much uh, skin can we get away with here? It'll be a three-minute-long sex scene for no reason at all, all focused on Dexter's butt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we don't have all day, so let's let's move on to season two and try to keep things relatively short. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on season two of the show? I love season two. I think a lot of people are pretty harsh on season two, and I 
still don't really know why. I feel like uh, season two was maybe not as strong as the first season, but I love the fact that, and I can't believe the show ended up being eight seasons long. And the second season is the one where they almost catch Dexter. And then everything after that is he's basically never in danger. So I love that. Um, I like the fact that he starts to struggle uh, in his relationship with Rita because he connects with this woman, Lila, who doesn't know that he's a serial killer, but knows that he's damaged. And he can sense that she is also damaged in some ways herself, in ways that he couldn't relate to with Rita. I found this to be have some of the most suspenseful sequences of the entire series, especially towards the end of the season when everything starts to crack down. The one thing I will say about season two that uh, I wasn't so crazy about is that Deb gets back into a relationship with Lundy right after she's been traumatized by being abducted by a serial killer who she was dating in the first season. I didn't dislike her relationship with Lundy. I think the only thing that I'll say about what I didn't like about it is that it just felt a little rushed that they were just trying to get Deb back to a good spot a little too quickly. Which is weird that I'm saying that because Deborah gets beaten to the ground every season. But yeah, I think season two is uh, definitely one of the best. I agree with you. I think I might even prefer season two to season one just because it, it, it's a season just with a lot of momentum. And as you mentioned, Charlie, it's just so strange that they would turn to this Bay Harbor Butcher storyline so early on. That, that it's only season two of the show and they're already focusing on, okay, well, Dexter's the one that MMPD is looking for. They are on to him. Everything could come crashing down, and his secret could be out at any moment. That adds a lot of tension to the season, and it, it, it almost feels like the show doesn't expect to ever, in a million years, make it to eight seasons. Yeah. No. <laughs> it very much feels like the writers are like, all right, we don't know how long we're going to be on the air, so we got we to gotta get to this stuff quickly. And I like how it makes Dexter the primary villain of the show, in, in, in a sense. Um, and I also like how it sets up Dokes as a really compelling antagonist, as, once again, a smart detective, which would later come to be very rare in Miami Metro, who, who is suspicious about Dexter and is doing everything he can to figure out the truth. I also like how it sets up Dexter's relationships with, uh, with, with Lila. And it, again, it just keeps adding these different moral gray zones to Dexter, where you kind of feel like, well, I'm glad he's with Rita, she's good for him, but at the same time, now he's cheating on Rita, so we kind of hate him even more. Mm -hmm. And and everything with Rita's husband that ultimately happens, it, it's just all very interesting. I have a problem with the finale. Oh, what is it? The thing about the finale is that I think it's ultimately too neat, and I think it betrays what would ultimately come to be the defining characteristic of the show, unfortunately, which is that there is a reluctance in the finale to blame Dexter for too much. You know, even though Dexter ties up Dokes, keeps him prisoner, and ultimately frames him as the Bay Harbor Butcher, which may be the worst thing of all, mm -hmm. that he, he tears down this, this good guy's reputation. They don't show him killing Dokes. 
No, doesn't Lila kill Dokes? Yes, Lila kill Dokes. Yeah. Which just feels a little bit like the writers trying to play it safe. Like, they're willing to play with the dark character like Dexter. They're willing to make him be very unlikable in certain ways, but they have a line. And they're not going to have him kill Dokes himself because that might be going too far. You know, if we actually show him killing a police officer... Yeah. Maybe the audience won't be with us anymore. And unfortunately, because I don't view Dexter as a really sympathetic character, that's where I think they should have gone. And I think that would have really brought some of the uh, these questions about should we be rooting for Dexter to the surface. And just from a continuity perspective, later on, when Deborah ends up shooting the Guerta, mm-hmm. in many ways, that's it's, it's even sadder for Deborah because she's killed a cop. Dexter never killed a cop. So is Deb worse than Dexter in, in that respect, you know? And it, it's mm-hmm. just the fact that Dexter didn't kill Dokes himself just feels like the writers unwilling to take this character where I would argue he needed to go. It didn't bother me when I was watching it, but now upon reflecting upon it, I can see what you mean. I think that would have brought it in a much darker, more interesting place. And yeah, everything's a little too neat, maybe, because Lila kills Dokes. She happens to blow the place up to the point where all the fingerprints and all the evidence is gone that Dexter was ever there. And then, you know, he rescues Aster and Cody from Lila, who's, like, gonna burn down her apartment, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hated that. I hated how Lila just became this crazy woman who kills Dokes and then goes and then kidnaps the kids. Yeah. Pyromaniac. That was just, it was too much. It was a little too crazy. She basically turned into Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction. Yeah. And I will say, I one thing about the season two finale that I liked is that the entire season, Dexter's wondering if he should turn himself in. And the fact that he doesn't and is okay with letting Dokes take the fall for it. I remember watching the season two finale and being like, okay, well, that's a little troubling. Right. That he's just okay with, you know, like, we don't want him to get caught personally. And the fact that we see he's struggling with this morally adds more sympathy to him. But the fact that he kind of gets over it, I think there's even a sequence in one of the episodes where he's like, oh, my God, my morning routine. And he does the whole, uh, he basically does everything he does in the intro. And he's like, I can't believe I would never, I I actually thought about giving this up, Uh, like, you know, going out for it. Uh, a run, making orange juice, like my daily routine. Like, why would I ever go to prison and give this whole life up? I I remember thinking, well, that's a little disturbing that you're able to get over it that quickly. And the fact that you're willing to let him take the fall for it, maybe that means that this is something that will pile up into uh, a snowball of things that are just disturbing and sociopathic and make you unworthy of our sympathy. Unfortunately, they didn't go that route. They went the opposite. Um, The last thing I'll say about season two, I like Keith Carradine as Agent Lundy. I think he was he was a great character. He made a good partner for Deb. And again, it was just also ni- it was just nice to see a smart, capable law enforcement official on Dexter's trail. Yes, you know? and, and you definitely got the impression if Lundy sticks around, he could really spell trouble for Dexter down the road. Yeah, when I said I didn't like the Deb and Lundy relationship, I didn't dislike the Deb and Lundy relationship. What I meant was, like, I just felt like, for Deb's character, it felt a little too fast for her to just get into another safe relationship. But I did like Lundy as a character because, uh, you're right, he's smart. He has a chance of catching Dexter by the end of all of it. And also, I love how the primary theme of the entire season seems to be addiction Mm -hmm. and you know dexter having to lie and claim that he's a a, a drug addict and everything with rita's husband who really is a drug addict and lila who's a pyromaniac 
Stokes, who just seems obsessed with with Dexter. Mm-hmm. There's this idea of addiction running throughout the entire season that I think is really compelling. Again, because it brings up that question of who is Dexter Morgan? Is he actually a sociopath, or is he just a damaged person who is now addicted to this horrible thing that he was brainwashed into thinking he needed to do? Yeah. It's unfortunate that as the series continued it started to leave questions like that behind. I absolutely agree. There's one other scene I love in season two where it's basically um, his thoughts of what could happen when he tells Deb that he is a serial killer, and it's like a montage of all of her different possible reactions, and some she's crying, and some... Was that that the end of season two or the end of season one? I'm pretty sure that's the end of season two, because he knows that uh, she's with Lundy now. He knows that Lundy's on his trail, and I'm pretty sure that's like in one of the last two episodes of season two where it's just in one shot, she's crying in one scene, she's screaming in another scene that she shoots him in the head. And some of those reactions I'm pretty sure were more realistic than any of the ways that Deb acted around Deb for being him for being a serial killer in season eight. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right, well, let's move on to season three of Dexter. What did you think of season three? This is the Miguel Prado season. You've got Jimmy Smits as a villain, which which we never really see very much. I thought season three had its moments, but compared to the first two, I found it, at least when I watched it when it was airing live, I found it to be kind of disappointing because I felt like they went through a lot of material they seemed to have already explored in the first two. I didn't think Miguel Prada was particularly interesting as a character or a villain. I found it to be just kind of like a male version of Lila. I just felt like Dexter, you just made this huge connection with Lila, and then she turned into a crazy person. That was even before she found out that you were a serial killer. And then when she did find out you were a serial killer, she went even more crazy. So why do you think this friendship you have with him is going to work out? The thing that's different about this is, I guess, that Miguel Prado is an innocent man. He can't. He doesn't want to kill Miguel Prado. He has to wait until Miguel Prado kills an innocent in order to kill him. But I just never found it to be as tense. The, the one thing I will say that I did like about season three is I felt like Deb had a really good relationship with um, Anton. And the stuff with Rita, I thought, was interesting because now, in, I think in the season three premiere, uh, Rita reveals that she's pregnant. And that's when we start to think about, oh my god, this serial killer is about to become a father. I remember thinking, I don't know how to feel about this when I'm watching it. And obviously he's thinking it too, this is not going to be good. But um, I found uh, his relationship with Rita to grow in interesting ways. But unfortunately, the stuff with the Skinner, I thought, was really dull. And I feel like the Miguel Prado relationship was kind of a, a rehash of what he had been through with Lila. You know, I didn't hate it, but overall I found it to be an underwhelming season. I agree with you. It's not quite up to uh, the standard of seasons one and two, Charlie, but I, I still like season three, even though now looking back, I, 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 I've realized that I'd forgotten a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it wasn't very memorable. Like, I, I'll be honest, Charlie, I don't remember the Skinner at all. He was so boring. Miguel Prado and the Skinner were never a threat. I'm pretty sure he kills off Miguel Prado in the second to last episode, and then he gets kidnapped by the Skinner. And not only does he have to kill the, the Skinner and dispose of his body and everything like that, he has to do it before his wedding day. And it was all very rushed and very... Uh, I, I was just never threatened by him. The, the, the reason you don't remember the Skinner is because the Skinner had no personality. I think he was barely on screen. 
at all. Was there an actual actor playing the Skinner? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, because he got he murders the Skinner right before his wedding, and it, I think he broke his hand or something like that, and he had this, and the reason he was, like, late to the wedding was because, like, he injured himself yard work or something. I don't know. Yes, he did hurt his hand at the end of the season, but I will be perfectly honest, I do not remember the Skinner <laughs> at all. I do remember Miguel Prado, however, and I actually like... Miguel Prado as a character. I think Jimmy Smits does a good job considering it's Jimmy Smits and he's just such a likable guy, I think. (laughs) He does a a good job of transforming into someone a bit more sinister over the course of the season. And I, I like how, again, it's continuing that idea of every season... Dexter is going to connect with someone and and find himself emotionally opening up in ways he never has before. In season one, it's a platonic brotherly level. In season two, he meets Lila and it's this sexual level. And here in season three, he makes his first true platonic friend. And it's a really good friend who he can actually share his, uh, his secret with. And just seeing that relationship and, and, and how Dexter learns to, to a certain extent, trust Miguel, and then also how Miguel starts to become corrupted just by being around Dexter, and, by, and, and that idea of, well, can normal people go bad? Is Dexter a sociopath, or is he really more normal than we might like to think? Are, are these just impulses that all of us have and that any of us could potentially give in to? That, I think, worked really well. Overall, that's really all I have to say about the third season of Dexter. I, I liked it. It's not fantastic compared to what came before it, but overall I think it moved the story forward in some interesting ways. And also, it, it, it opened the season with that interesting question of the code. And what does the code mean exactly? Because Dexter ends up killing an innocent person. No, I think that the beginning of season three is when it was really strong, when you have the twist that Rita's pregnant, when you have the twist that Miguel Prado's walked in on him. I guess it's by the end of the third season, since we have seen the way that the series has wrapped up twice now, and both of those seasons had, I thought, good finales, especially the first season, I think the finale's fantastic. But we knew that, like, based off of those two season finales, that they were good. Probably the the third season was going to be wrapped up pretty neatly, and I feel like it was wrapped up all too tight. It was just way too rushed. I I just didn't get a big sense of tension out of his relationship with Miguel Prado. I felt like Miguel Prado kind of went down the crazy route that Lila did because Dexter's kind of like, okay, there's this code, you know, we only kill bad people. And he's like, "Uh, what about that woman, Ellen Wolf? I hate her. And he's like, well, she hasn't killed anyone. And he's like, yeah, but she's morally corrupt and blah, 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 blah. And Dexter's like, well, don't kill her. And then he kills her. Well, that was interesting to me, and I was willing to go with it, even though it was a little bit over the top, just because, again, it gets back to that idea of the code. Why is this Dexter's code? What does it mean to him? Can it be changed? Why is it that he he only goes after killers? If Ellen Wolf really is indeed morally corrupt, mm-hmm. why is it not okay for, for Dexter to kill her? And in the very beginning, he, he kills uh, Oscar Prado, Miguel's brother, who, who was innocent. Oh, that was another wasted op- opportunity, though, because right. I remember that the whole time you think Miguel Prado is going to find out that Dexter killed his brother... And they never did anything with that. They He literally says it to Miguel Prado while he's on the table, right before he's about to get killed. And it doesn't really mean anything, because, you know, I didn't really care about Miguel Prado as a character. I didn't care about his brother. I thought, if 
Miguel Prado ever found out about Dexter being the one who killed his brother, I feel like it, the season could have definitely been a lot more intense and a lot more uh, riveting, and it would have gone down an even darker route, I think. Right, and you know, Charlie, we've already talked about you know some early warning signs that we've been getting here now. Now, in retrospect, about where the series would ultimately go, here we're starting to see that while the show is willing to bring up ideas about the code and what the code might mean to Dexter, it it never really quite dives into that in, in a compelling way that it's, that has lasting, meaningful effect on on Dexter. And as the series progresses, the code really just becomes anything Dexter wants it to be. And it, it, it no longer seems to have very much meaning by the time you get to season eight. It's like it can be bent and manipulated into whatever ways he or Ghost Harry say it can, you know? like Right. So, sometimes it's, oh, I have to stick to the code. If I don't stick to the code, who am I? Other times it's, oh, well, I need to make my own code and not just Harry's code. We're starting to see that the writers are willing to go down interesting routes. They are not necessarily willing to explore those paths and follow them to their logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's talk season four, Charlie, which some people would say is the very best season of the show. This is the season with the Trinity Killer, played by John Lithgow, who I'm sure you will agree is a great villain. He is the best villain that... Uh, was ever on the show. He was terrifying from the very first episode. Like, I was not threatened by Miguel Prado at all. But when you're introduced to the Trinity Killer and he's got that woman in a bathtub that he's murdering, it's chilling. It's so creepy. It's so disturbing. And this is also a great season because Trinity is a monster who doesn't follow a code, and yet he seemingly has a great family life, and he is seemingly very successful at his job, and he seems to have it all together, and Dexter looks up to him and despises him, because while he plans on killing him because he knows that he is a serial killer who's been murdering people in brutal, brutal ways, he, in a way, sticks around with him to see how he manages to pull off his day-to-day life because Dexter struggles with that all the time. And it's also one of the few times that Dexter has to suffer consequences for his actions, especially considering that for the first three seasons, every finale wrapped up with Dexter getting exactly what he wants. Everything wrapped up exactly in Dexter's favor. Here, this season finale was so heartbreaking because they trick you into thinking that Dexter's going to pull it off again. He's just killed Trinity. He's disposing of the body. He's got a voicemail from Rita. He's going to be home. Everything's going to be fine. And then in the very last scene of that finale, when you find Rita dead in the bathtub, it's just devastating because it's the first time that he realizes that he's hurting the people around him in so many ways and his own selfishness and his own uh, sociopathic tendencies that he prioritized over the people he loved are destructive and it's one of the most heartbreaking plot developments on the show. I agree with you. It's it's definitely the darkest ending to a season of Dexter we ever had, though the season 7 finale certainly tried to explore some some, some similar territory and just pushing characters to some dark places. Again, what makes season 4 work it's, it's the fact you have a great villain played by a great actor. I know this, the scene everyone remembers is the scene around the dinner table where Dexter's over for lunch or dinner 
And you suddenly start to see that this Arthur Mitchell guy is a monster even at home, and his family is terrified of him. Yeah, that was a really bonkers episode. (laughs) I remember that episode very well. I do think that episode may be a little too over the top, because I don't think we've seen... Do we see him having a normal dinner with his family first, or is it just that Dexter comes over that one time and then, like... You know, he starts screaming and throwing food, and that might have been a little too on the nose. The implication I think we're supposed to take away from it is that, okay, they might not end up screaming at each other at every meal, but he has very tight control over his family. Yeah. They are very intimidated by him. They are under a great deal of psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. And what's great about season four is that it gets at the heart of what Dexter is about. That conflict between his darker impulses and, and, and... his code and the fact that he's been brainwashed arguably into thinking that he has to kill and what's the best way to go about killing people versus, oh, well, maybe I'm human. Maybe mm-hmm. I can make human connection. Maybe I don't have to be this way. And that struggle is personified so well in Arthur Mitchell because, as you mentioned, Dexter admires him and can't believe that he he's he seems like the perfect serial killer, that he's able to balance out his murderous tendencies with actually having a family. And at the same time, it's terrifying. And Dexter has to ask himself, well, do I really want to end up that way? You know, Arthur Mitchell is who Dexter will become if he ultimately gives in to his murderous nature and prioritizes that above everything else. And that, I think, is is the really terrifying thing about it. Not just that, oh, this is a bad guy who's going to do bad things to, to people, including Rita, but that that could be Dexter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I remember being so shocked that Rita died because... Julie Benz was like, I think that, was she even billed before Jennifer Carpenter when she was on that show? I think she might have been. Maybe. Even the subplots in season four I found to be fascinating, though. Like, even though it got a little over the top with Trinity has a stepdaughter and she uh, shoots Lundy and stuff like that. Like, there were moments in season four, just in the middle of an episode, where I was just going, oh my god, I did not see that coming. Like, Deb and Lundy getting shot in, like, the fourth episode. Well, well, even Lundy coming back, again, I think think it was really nice. I, I, I liked... The Frank Lundy character, I liked his relationship with Deb. And again, whenever Lundy's around, you just get the feeling he could be the one. He could be the one that ultimately brings down Dexter. Mm-hmm. Once he picks up the sense of something, he's not necessarily going to let go. And I gotta tell you, I, w- I was disappointed that he was killed off. Not only because it again just reinforced that idea that Deb can never be with anyone she loves but also because Lundy was could potentially have been such a good antagonist to Dexter. And now looking back, Charlie, at the time, season four felt like a real turning point mm-hmm. for the series. And it, it, it was, I think, but not in the ways that people wanted. It, it felt like the show was beginning to recognize that it needed to come to a close, you know, because if you've spent four seasons bringing your monstrous protagonist into realizing that maybe he can be more human, maybe he doesn't want to become like Arthur Mitchell down the road, how much further can you take that? Mm -hmm. You know, and I remember at the end of season four thinking, okay, this is a major thing that's happened with Rita, and that's going to bring Dexter to a new place psychologically and emotionally 
and this season needs to wrap itself up in one or two more seasons, and it'll be great. It'll be done. It'll be a nice little five or six season story about a monster becoming human, and it'll be good. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is not <laughs> what happened. And, and just in retrospect, I'm thinking, man, if they had just stuck to five or six seasons and kept Lundy around and had Lundy as a later force that would come to uh, suspect Dexter, I, I think that would have been fantastic. Yeah, I I definitely wish Lundy stuck around more. I will admit that while I watched season four, I did not expect him to die, and I found that to be a very emotionally powerful, tragic occurrence. It was, and I and I think it works within the season. Mm-hmm. But now that now that we can look back on the series as a whole, I'm thinking, well, if they'd had a plan from the very beginning, if they'd had a, you know a five or six season long arc that they wanted to explore, how great would it have been if Lundy stuck around? And ultimately, the Deb character had to choose between Lundy and Dexter. Oh, definitely. It, it would have taken her to some interesting places as well. Yeah, and while the, her showdown with Guerto was definitely tense, yeah, with Lundy, that raises it to a whole nother level because she's, you know, in love with both of those men. Right. She doesn't want to kill LaGuerta, but, you know, they've never been friends. And also, the shot of Harrison being found in the pool of Rita's blood and him realizing that he and Brian are no longer the only ones born in blood because of his actions, he has exposed his child to a horrible, traumatic opening stage of life that ultimately damaged him. And I thought that that was indicating how it was going to change and how Dexter was going to become more moral and try to give up killing in season five. And unfortunately, they just didn't do any of that. They didn't do anything with it, and they just repeated the same revelation at the end of season eight. Yeah, exactly. When it didn't really work at all. No. Oh, I guess I am dangerous for everyone around me. I guess I should just go off and be a lumberjack. And no, it it didn't make sense in, in the context of season eight. It makes more sense here. In season four, because he ditches Rita a lot. I remember that, you know, things were pretty tense in the Morgan household uh, (laughs) for a lot of that season. I I mean, I haven't rewatched it, I have to admit, but I'm sure that if you go back and rewatch it, it builds up like how he's alienating his family and he's choosing to, you know, hang out with Arthur Mitchell and try and figure out how to be a serial killer and a family man as opposed to just an obligated family man. It's something he should have stopped doing by the time he married Rita and the fact that he didn't it all makes sense because that's when he realizes oh wait i was not with the people that i loved and uh because of who i am and because of what i'm doing that affects them too i don't have my own private life anymore i have people that i love that can be hurt i have more to lose than just myself and it totally worked for season four and season eight. Not only did they repeat it, but they repeated it in a muddled, convoluted way that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, there, there were some interesting things that they explored in this season. Batista and LaGuerta got married. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a development out of nowhere where I think in the first episode, it's like they make out in an elevator or something, and you're like, oh, well, I guess they're an item now. <laughs> like, <laughs> And then... They, there is a, that whole subplot about how they end up getting married, and it, it goes against the code of, like, the employee code of Miami PD or something, and they end up, like, even manipulating uh, around the system and getting it to be valid for them to get married to begin with. I think that it has to do with one of them switching jobs. Right. Either getting promoted or stepping down from a higher position. But what sucks about this is that uh, they apparently just get divorced later on. I think they just break up. 
and they were kind of like, it was almost like the writers were like, well, it was a nice try, but uh, let's just, let's just yeah. drop that. And then by the time that LaGuardia's dead in the season eight premiere, it's as if Batista doesn't even remember that he was married to her. <laughs> right. And he doesn't even bother to look at her files or investigate her death. It's all very disappointing. No, he's not heartbroken by it at all. You think that this would like, you know, rekindle old feelings he had for her, that he would be in Deb's situation a little bit, not maybe to the point where she's like trying to kill himself with cocaine every night but, like, probably going out drinking and being suspicious as to how she died. You know, Batista could have been a great threat for the eighth season. Well, especially if, if he and LaGuerta stayed married and he was someone that she turned to when she started figuring out the truth and, and they eventually kind of had to team up uh-huh. to bring down Dexter. Again, if you're not going to do Lundy, do LaGuerta and Batista. Yeah, do someone at the Miami PD who we have come to like as a character, because that puts us in a morally complex situation where we're stuck rooting for a serial killer as our protagonist, but we know that the more moral police officer who has a real sense of morality and a real sense of what the right thing to do is, is a threat to our supposed hero, then that puts us as viewers in a situation where we don't know who to root for and we don't know what the right thing to do is. All right, well, let's move on to the second half of Dexter. This is when things start to get rough. (laughs) Showrunner Clyde Phillips left the show after season four, and head writer Melissa Rosenberg left the show after season four as well. And it's just such a weird note to leave the show on. You know, there's a part of me that thinks, why are you leaving after you've dropped this bomb right in the middle of Dexter in in the form of Rita's death, because now the people that come after you are going to have to figure out what to do with that. Yeah, and not to mention, I'm pretty sure that season four's finale was like the highest rated episode of Dexter to date, so I was it was kind of shocking that they decided to leave after the show seemed to be drawing a larger audience. Yes, and they, they brought on Chip Johannesson to uh, replace Clyde Phillips. This was the only season that Chip Johannesson was a showrunner on, and then he left the show after season five. I, I don't know if it's just because the response to season five was so much more negative or what the deal was, but this was his only season. What did you think of this season, Charlie? Um, season five isn't that good. I don't hate it as much as some people hate it. Maybe that's because I've seen six and eight, and a lot of people I know who hate five stopped at five. I think that the season began pretty damn well with the first episode, which is pretty slow-paced, where it's coming to terms with the fact that Rita has died. And Deb's starting to notice that Dexter is not acting like a grieving husband should be. He's not sure how he's feeling. He's, in a way, know it, uh, uh, acknowledging the fact that since he isn't hysterically sobbing or reacting with such heartbreak that so many other people say he should be de- reacting with, that that could signify that he may, you know, that gives him doubts that he might be a monster after all, and that maybe he isn't suited for family life. And then, unfortunately, Lumen comes into the picture, and while she's interesting for about two episodes... Her plotline, which also revolves around antagonist Jordan Chase, who is one of the most bland big bads that the show has had. Unfortunately, the show starts getting formulaic again, and like the finales for the first three seasons, everything that uh, is at stake for Dexter is no longer a problem by the finale. Everything gets wrapped up really neatly. It's so contrived that Deb is literally looking at silhouettes of Lumen and Dexter 
from a sheet that is right in front of her. And she doesn't even pull the sheet back to see who these people are because Lumen is a rape victim and it's been made clear that the murders that she and Dexter have been committing are kind of like almost uh, vigilante type uh, revenge killings for being abused. So Deb basically says like, I understand why you're doing this, but don't ever come back here or next time I'll have to arrest you. And then she just leaves. And I remember watching that and just going, really? Really? Like last season you were able to take a huge ambitious step and in killing off one of the main characters. And while it hurt and it wasn't enjoyable to watch by any means, it put the show in a new direction and it added darker elements to the show that made it more emotionally compelling. And it's like here they were just too afraid to get Deb to realize Dexter was a serial killer because season five was getting really good ratings after season four. So they basically just said, well, just in case we want to keep it going, let's have Deb just uh, walk away. I'm going to defend season five a little bit here, Charlie. I I agree with you. I I don't hate it nearly as much as a lot of other people do. Regarding that ending in particular, I think it fits with Deb. And it fits with some of the themes that were explored throughout the season. Because, again, in season four, Deb lost Lundy. And Deb has constantly been losing people that she loves in her life. So I can buy that she would sympathize with Lumen and Lumen's quest to kill everyone that has hurt her. That makes sense to me. I can buy that she would let Lumen get away with it due to her own issues. I think the main problem with season five is Jordan Chase, the villain. And it's not really Johnny Lee Miller's fault. He, he, he's an okay actor. He does have some good screen presence. It's just a, a really blandly written villain. Take it. God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a motivational speaker, and they never really do a good job of getting inside his head and exploring what makes him tick. And I think it, with, if, if they had had a better villain... This season really could have worked overall. I mean, anyone's going to pale in comparison to John Lithgow. Mm -hmm. But even so, this was just a really, really poorly written character. Even though season five is messy and it's rough, I like overall some of the stuff that they're exploring well enough that I'm willing to go with it. I like the idea that they're bringing in Lumen as a way for Dexter to exercise his own demons regarding what happened with Rita and for, for her to be the new Rita, in a sense. And and while I think that they turn Lumen into a love interest a little bit too quickly, yeah, um, and he, he, he gets over Rita's death pretty fast in that respect, I like how he views this as a way of atonement. How if he can help Lumen, if he can help her deal with her own dark passenger maybe he can atone for Rita's death. And also there's that idea of if Lumen can can overcome her dark passenger at the end of season five and at the end of this, it's that lingering question of, well, can Dexter overcome his? And at the very end of the season, Dexter's left with that question of, could I change? Could I overcome this? And while he has doubts, there is that idea that maybe there is hope for him. And Again, it it all goes back to the fact that Showtime extended out the season for way too long. If season six was going to be the last season, then I think season five is an effective stepping stone to that. It allows Dexter to deal with what happened with Rita, and it also brings him to a place where he's willing to consider, okay, maybe I really can be human. 
No, I definitely like that. I think that it's definitely still coherent with the Dexter that we've seen since season one. It was the season where I started to say to myself, oh, they're not going to catch him. Like, there were so many episodes of season five where Dexter narrowly manages to get away, and then Deb and the team show up, and they're just like, ah, fuck. Well, let's go home. And, like, that, I remember season five was the season where I started to think, this is starting to run a little thin, because there's only so many times I can watch Dexter get away, or kill someone and then get away, or get away by, you know, missing the cops by five seconds. And then to have Deb walk away from that, like, I, I do agree with you, that's consistent with her character, it became annoying to me because I felt I knew that this is the, you know, recurring formula that the show is always going to have. And by the time you get to the fifth season, it's pretty dull to just see him kill someone, get away, and then, you know, not have to pay any sort of uh, price for that. He never leaves anything behind at a crime scene that could link uh, him to it. He never makes a mistake. He always perfectly gets away so that no one knows it was him. Right. And again, it just goes back to the story that it seemed like the writers started out telling it needs to start wrapping up at this point. It needs to start drawing things to a conclusion, setting the pieces in place for a finale, not just returning to the same old well of, okay, he's a killer. Let's go watch him kill some folks. And and as a result, that's why season five, I think, is, is rough. It's that conflict that would come to define the series, That just that conflict between where do we need to take the story versus, well, what can we get away with not really exploring because we want to extend the show further. Yeah, we'll make Quinn the new dokes, only he'll, he'll be a lot dumber and not nearly as threatening. The only good thing about that subplot was that Peter Weller guest starred on that season, and he was actually a pretty good villain, but I think he only lasted a few episodes before he ended up getting killed off. So overall, I will defend season five, but it's definitely the weakest of these five seasons, and it, it, it's rough, and we're starting to see that maybe the writers and, and the people at Showtime, they don't have a good grasp on when they should end the story, and it's all about ratings, and that's ultimately what's going to come back and bite them. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to season six. Ugh. Oh, man, Charlie. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about season six. It's... The worst season, in my opinion, it's boring, it doesn't make a lot of sense, it's just frustrating because, structurally speaking, this is when the show needed to end. Uh Uh-huh. The first five seasons set it up so well for, for this to be the final season, for Dexter to finally come to a realization about who he is, to make that decision, do I want to be human, do I want to be a monster, but no, I guess either right before they started production on season six or during production of season six, they decided to extend it for another two seasons. And as a result, all of the momentum completely dissipates. Oh, absolutely. All the stakes are gone because I, I, I remember when I heard that they weren't going to make this the last season, suddenly it went from being, oh, well, I can't wait to see season six to see how they wrap things up and to see what ultimate revelations Dexter makes about himself. I just began to dread it. Because it was like, oh, well, they're not going to do too much, are they, in that respect? They're not going to really explore what they should explore because they've extended it for two more seasons. 
Yeah, and uh, we'll just uh, kill time by uh, having this whole theme about religion and would Dexter get into religion should he bring Harrison to a Catholic school? And I just didn't buy anything that they were doing with that. I don't think it's a bad idea in concept. I just think that the way that it was executed was either very heavy-handed or very corny or just not credible at all, even in this pulpy Dexter universe. I love the stuff with religion, and again, I think if, if this was, was going to be the final season, that would be the perfect theme to go out on, because just religion by its very nature deals with those themes of sin and guilt and judgment, but also forgiveness and atonement, and, and can, you be, can you be saved, spiritually speaking, or are you damned? And, and that's, that gets right at the heart of what Dexter is all about. And if this had been the final season, if that had been in the background while Dexter was really coming to some major revelations about himself and, and forced to ultimately decide the kind of man he wanted to be, I think it could have been really effective, especially if you're going to set up the serial killer as the beast, as as this dark religious figure who who could represent again like Arthur Mitchell everything Dexter doesn't want to become i think it could have been really interesting and the first few episodes of episode 6 i think aren't terrible and there's some there's some interesting stuff with uh most deaf who plays a, a character who kind of gets Dexter to reflect on his life and forgiveness and whether bad people can change and that's when the season is at its strongest. Then it just becomes utter nonsense. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, after watching the first two episodes of season six, when it aired live, I did give up on the show temporarily. I didn't watch it for a few years. I kind of gave up until basically this year when the final season was coming out. And I was like, okay, I should really catch up now. I just remember being so bored and so frustrated with it. I think in the first episode of season six, it's like, oh, Dexter can't resist getting a blowjob. Isn't that funny, audience? And I'm just kind of like, no, this isn't Dexter Morgan. Like season one, Dexter didn't even understand sex. And now he's like, he's like getting laid by everyone now. Like what? Like, I don't know. And I honestly think that season six is so insubstantial that if you were to just watch the last five minutes of the finale, that's all you really need to see. I agree. I'm totally with you. And it's just, it gets bogged down in so much nonsense. You've got everything with Lewis Green, who ultimately the actor would decide to leave the show. So that character goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. Everything about this season just feels so inconsequential because, again, they decided to extend it two more seasons. And, and, the, and the way it ends just with Travis kidnapping um, Harrison, it's ideas that should be really impactful and should really mean something for Dexter. Like, oh my god, my son is in danger. How is this going to affect me? How should I change? Again, why is it that every time... I stick around or I keep killing people, bad things happen to, to the ones I love. But no, it, it just it doesn't seem to really matter. The execution is so haphazard. It's, it's just no. really annoying, really frustrating. Just nope. an awful, awful season of television. Not to mention that uh, the big bad is about as intimidating as a fly. <laughs> And, uh, it's it's unfortunate because I love Edward James almost, and I I also I also oh, yeah. I actually like Colin Hanks, and I think he's a, he's a capable actor. Just the way this villain was written, the Doomsday Killer, just really did not do them any favors. Not to mention that everyone knew that Geller wasn't real, 
for like half the season. Right. So when it was finally revealed as a cliffhanger at the end of one of the episodes, everyone was going, well, yeah, the writers treat us like idiots because they have like a Dexter voiceover. It's like, did he really kill all those people by himself? Has he been dead the whole time? And I'm like, uh, did the writers just rent Fight Club on DVD and like <laughs> think that this twist had never been used before? Like, I, I don't know. Right. Also, interesting, uh, interesting little thing to note. There is a brief little subplot in here where Dexter learns that Trinity's wife and daughter have been found dead. And oh, I forgot about that. Yes, and he has, and Dexter has visions of his brother Brian. The Ice Truck Killer, and the Ice Truck Killer, he shows up briefly as like a new ghost Harry, as the embodiment of his dark passenger, and, and, and we find out that Jonah's sister committed suicide, and Jonah killed his mother in a rage, but now feels terrible about it and wants to die. And Dexter ultimately leaves Jonah alone and forgives him. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is all interesting stuff. Now, instead of Ghost Harry, you've got Ghost Brian. What does that mean? And again, this is the season when Ghost Harry really ceased to matter. Oh, yeah, which I'm okay with because I hated Ghost Harry from basically uh, season five onward. Right, but but at least you could for, for a while there, you could justify Ghost Harry as being an extension of Dexter's subconscious and and as an insight into his character, but then once you got into all this stuff with Brian and it just it, it seemed like the writers just didn't know what to do with Ghost Harry. Oh yeah, Brian shows up for like an episode, and it's almost it's it's, it's almost as if James Ramar couldn't like make the uh like had like scheduling conflicts or something like that, and they just called the actor up who played Brian, and they were like, hey, can you do like a stand-in for James Ramar? And he was like, yeah, sure. They might as well have done like a little title card that's like. In the following episode, Harry Morgan will be played by the guy who plays Brian Moser. Like, it just, it, they, nothing happened with that. And I'm pretty sure that that was a cliffhanger twist at the end of an episode was like, remember, hi, brother, and then it'll, like, cut, and you're like, oh, shit, they're going to use this to some new, interesting, you know, way to go deeper into Dexter's psychology than just Ghost Harry. And I think he's there for an episode, and then he leaves, and it's like it never happened. Right, right. And it, it mentions Jonah, and I'm I'm kind of left wondering at the end of this season, what if they what if they had brought Jonah back at some point? What if they had brought him back as the big bad for season eight, for example? He would have been a better recurring character than any of the new characters that we got in season eight. <laughs> right, and, and Dexter ultimately forgives Jonah for killing his mother, which is a new thing for Dexter. And, and again, it, it's it's that idea of forgiveness, and if Dexter can forgive Jonah, well, okay, can he forgive himself? Can he learn to forgive other killers, or does he always have to lash out and, 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 and murder the murderers? But no, they never really do anything interesting with that. And how interesting would it have been if he had forgiven Jonah and then Jonah went on to kill other people? Yeah. That would have been a moral quandary that uh, Dexter found himself in. But nope, they're just going to, they just ignore all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, season six, mess, it's garbage. Season seven. What did you think of season seven, Charlie? Season seven is so good for the first, I want to say, eight or nine episodes. Do you think it's actually good in its own right, or do you think it's only good compared to seasons five and six? No, I think it's good in its own right. I prefer season seven over season three, which I feel like a lot of people might, like, punch me in the face if there was anyone sitting next to me right now. But uh, I think season seven is just... It it delivers on 
a terrifying possibility that has been threatening Dexter from the very beginning of the show, which is what if Dexter, what if Deb finds out that he's a serial killer? And by having her find this out, it not only changes their whole relationship, which is uh, what the show is best at, is the relationship between Deb and Dexter. It forces them to go down some really emotionally gripping new paths where both characters are challenged morally and both characters are struggling and hurt and uh, they're both vulnerable to the fact that they're, they don't want to hurt people they love, but, you know, Deb doesn't know who her brother is anymore and Dexter doesn't know if his sister's ever going to trust him again. LaGuerta finally gets her due. It uh, becomes uh, a really strong, really smart character that takes charge, and she basically becomes the new Dokes. I, I thought she was just as menacing as Dokes. And it, it even had um, Isaac, uh, the hitman, who I thought was a great character on his own. And I think you said um, in back in maybe our introductory episode to this podcast that one of the best uh, scenes of Dexter is just the scene where Dexter and this hitman sit down for drinks and just talk. And I think you compared it to like Michael Mann's Heat with Al Pacino and uh, Robert De Niro, where it's like if you just get two very well-developed characters sitting down, having a conversation about the important things in life and what drives them. It can make for some really compelling, really thrilling television. Like the, the scenes were together where Deb and Dexter would just talk to each other or Dexter and Isaac would talk with each other. That was more thrilling to me than any of the uh, bloodshed it then occurred in seasons five and six, for sure. Right. I, I, I agree with you. Um, and in season seven is not perfect, but I, I do think that there's a, so much good stuff in it that ultimately I have very positive feelings about it as a season. As a season, I think Isaac, as a character, starts off kind of weak and and mm-hmm. seems like a pretty bland bad guy. But by the end of the season, they just do a really good job of fleshing out his character and the stuff with Quinn and and, and the strip club. It's a little bit over the top, a little bit cliche, but I was willing to go with it. And and as you mentioned, just everything with Deb and, and Dexter in this season just really gives it a lot of momentum really starts to take their characters to some interesting places it makes you really think back and go okay there was no need for season six if at the end of season five if that season had ended with dexter and voiceover going all right i'm about to help lumen kill jordan and maybe if i help her kill her dark passenger, I can kill mine, and it leaves open that possibility, and then Deb discovers him. Yeah. And then we launch into all of this stuff in season six. It really does make you realize season six was a total waste. Oh, total waste. And then every character that they introduced in season six, I'm pretty sure is every single one of them is dead by episode three of season seven. Right. Because there was the cop that got brought onto the force, but he gets shot in like the first episode. And then there was the guy who had that video game on serial killers that seemed like he was going to be a threat to Dexter. And then he ended up being nothing. I will agree. Season seven definitely isn't perfect. Uh, Quinn's subplot with the uh, stripper I thought was just really cliched. And I felt like we had seen stuff like that in um, six feet under with um, Freddie Rodriguez's character. Well, I, I didn't mind it just because it gave Quinn a story arc for the season, which was nice. It, yeah. it, it gave him stuff to do. It didn't make him quite so dumb. It made him more of an active character. 
And I appreciated that. Yes, it was a little bit cliche, but ultimately I liked it. I, I've never hated the Quinn character, and I liked that they were actually trying to do some interesting things with him. It also um, is the season that introduces Hannah, and I liked Hannah so much more when she was threatening, yeah. when she was mysterious, when she wasn't a damsel in distress who needed Dexter to save her at every minute, because even though like it's a relationship that he was, it, it kind of is what they did in season five with Lumen, only darker, and I found their relationship in this season to be more interesting than the relationship he had with Lumen in season five, and... I thought that, you know, once she comes into the picture and she becomes a threat to Deb, that's when it started to lose me a little bit. Um, yeah. Mainly because there's an episode where I was just like, I can't believe this is built up, to, that everything built up to this terrible episode. Um, it's the one where his uh, her father comes home mm -hmm. and he's just this horribly stereotypical abusive father who says horribly over the top profane things and Dexter has to kill him. And that's when this season started to get pretty bad. But then the season finale, even though I had a lot of problems with it while I was watching it, I was still like very tense and I had no idea what was going to happen by the end of it. And even though I have a lot of issues with how this season finale eventually concludes and uh, how it affects Deb in season eight, I think that it brings up, it at least challenges the viewer in what, once again, what is the right thing to do in this situation? It now puts Deb in uh, a perspective that Dexter has been feeling for so long and she can't handle it or so we think she can't handle it, you know, and it destroys her. And once again, this is a season where it's one of the most critically uh, it's one of them. It's gotten some of the best critical reception uh, out of most compared to most seasons of the show. I feel like it was another season that audiences responded really well to, and that's because a lot of bad stuff happens to Dexter. You know, he almost loses his sister. Like, it's not it's not a safe season, for the most part. Right. I felt like it was them kind of trying to take a more ambitious route than they had in two years. Right, and, and again, its problems mainly stem from the fact that it's not a tight show. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's been spread out for too long, and you can tell in, in, in some situations they're just spinning their wheels or just trying to find stuff for the characters to do. It might not necessarily be meaningful stuff, but it'll be stuff. Like, there's everything with the phantom arsonist. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't even remember, ultimately, what happened with that. Um, <laughs> so, so there is stuff in the season that does feel inconsequential just because, again, they've got another season. Yeah which supposedly we thought was when they were going to start to bring everything together and, and just really be propulsive. So season seven, it's not perfect, but overall I, I do have very good feelings about it. And yes, that scene with Isaac in the gay bar, possibly my favorite scene in the entire series. It's just so well done. And it just makes me sad that so much of Dexter is not that good. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this also, it might be a really messy season, but might have some of the best episodes of the show. I think that the, it has the best season premiere out of any of the seasons. The season premiere, Deb finds out that he's a serial killer. And it's one of the few times that they don't push Deb to the ground and force her to do something contrived just so she won't be a threat to Dexter anymore. Like, she is almost, she is the antagonist for a while which is ironic considering that I've always found her to be the heart of the show 
And I like the fact that Dexter tries to bullshit her and say, Travis kidnapped Harrison and, uh, you know, I was just really angry and this was just a spur of rage, a, a spurt of rage and I couldn't control myself. And she doesn't take that. Because she's a smart detective. She's a smart detective. In that one episode, they keep bringing back stuff from the past seasons that are in the police files for once. Like, I think this is the last time they ever go and use those files and that are in the back of Miami PD. But she goes and does her research and challenges Dexter, uh, asks him more and more questions, and then just doesn't take it anymore and eventually just breaks into his apartment and finds his blood spatter uh, kit. And that was when the show became so good again. There were stakes. Yeah, there were stakes, exactly. It was the first time the show had stakes in years. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I'll say about Season 7, you you brought up Hannah earlier. I I like Hannah overall as a character. I've even defended her and and that arc and and some of the ideas related to her in Season 8. Dexter has had three love interests over the course of the show. He's had Rita, he's had Lumen, which allowed him to work out his psychological issues about Rita and was kind of his rebound, and he's had Hannah. Uh And it feels a little bit crowded in a way. It's kind of like, oh, does Dexter really need three love interests over the course of the series? But overall, I, I, I guess I'm okay with that. I'm okay with him having two main love interests and then Lumen as kind of the thread between them psychologically. I liked Dexter and Hannah when they were uh, interacting with one another and, you know, it was like a game of cat and mouse where you didn't know who was going to come up on top and you didn't think a relationship was possible. And then when they start becoming intimate with one another, I was okay with that. When she starts uh, interfering with his life with Deb, I feel like that was when that became a little problematic because, because it took away from the moments that Dexter and Deb had together, which were the strongest moments of this season. And most of the time, the show, the last thing I'll say about Hannah, even though I, 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 I like Hannah as a character, am a little bit disappointed that they ultimately went with her as, like, Dexter's true love. Because Dexter connects to her because they, they've both killed people. Yeah. And that should have been the first sign that the writers weren't going to hold Dexter accountable for what he's done. Because he finds fulfillment in another killer, which almost, in, in a weird way, justifies his actions. I much prefer Lumen in the sense that Lumen, like Rita, was damaged. And with both Lumen and Rita, Dexter could connect to them just as a damaged person. As people that had been through traumatic experiences like he had as a child. And and, and that, to me, is, is much more interesting. If through the relationship, Dexter can view himself as a damaged person and how how have i been damaged how have i been traumatized how is that affecting me can i overcome that trauma can i change and 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 overcome this that to me is ultimately way more interesting for dexter as a character than oh i'm a killer and here's another killer and we're in love and we kill and that's great yeah, it's not the, it, he can't connect with damaged people. He can only connect with damaged people who've killed other people. Right. Yeah. That that is the one main thing in which I think Hannah's a problematic character. She's she's an interesting character, but just just in terms of what she ultimately means to Dexter and what she does to him as a character and and just just morally speaking, I I do have problems with that. Well, uh, she's also problematic 
because by the time you get to season eight, she's not even the same character right. that she was in season seven. In season seven, she seemed like she was going to be threatening, like she might be the big bad of season eight. I don't know. And, and again, that would have been interesting. That would have been if, if she had been the big bad and Dexter had ultimately had to kill her. Again, it could have been used as another way for him to metaphorically kill those feelings, kill that mm-hmm. side of him, and ultimately go back to embracing the damaged human side of him. But no, they didn't do that, and uh, we're not going to talk about season eight here because we spent a whole podcast talking about it. So if you've listened to Avenging Angels, you should know what we thought of season eight and all the different problems that we had with it. The one thing I will say about season eight, it is so bad. It's hard for me to want to go out and recommend this show to people because season eight ends on such a bad note. Like, I'll ask you that, Andrew. Even though there is so much good stuff in this series when you look at all the seasons together it's kind of a mixed bag yes and 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 a lot of the seasons sort of they feel very similar and they feel messy especially in the second half of the series and looking back it's hard for me to remember like which plot line occurred in which season just because because the series dragged on for so long and there were yeah. there were so little stakes with a lot of it that it's it's hard to keep everything straight but to wrap up this episode Charlie and to to wrap up Avenging Angels let's look back over Dexter as a whole and let's rank the seasons of Dexter and and let people know if you ever decide to check out Dexter which are the seasons you should brace yourselves for because they're the worst and, and which are definitely the uh, the better seasons that look that you can look forward to. So so I'm going to start with you, Charlie. What's the worst season in your opinion? Oh, season eight by far. Season eight is so bad that, as I just said, I don't know if I, I... I will feel guilty if I get people into this show now because of how offensively bad that ending is. Because, unfortunately, even though... It's been, for the most part, a good journey with this character. The fact that they explore, the the fact that they have such a shallow perspective of him and that they don't follow through with a lot of what they intended to deliver or they implied that they were going to deliver to viewers and really, you know, psychoanalyze the hell out of this character, uh, the fact that it ends on such a bad note it makes it hard for me to say no it's worth it's worth watching all 8 seasons of this show when there's so many other shows that don't completely tank at the end and i feel like if you're going to watch 8 seasons of a television show it better end on a satisfactory note because that's going to that's the last note that you're going to be left with once this story is over and i i don't know whether or not if someone came up to me and said should I watch Dexter? I honestly don't know what I would say. I'd probably say this, just that like the it's some seasons are amazing, some seasons are not so good, and then seasons six and eight are so bad that uh, you want to gouge out your eyes. And unfortunately, since seasons eight is the worst season, and it is so such a crushing disappointment. That might not be fair to me, but it's hard for me to say, no, go purchase a subscription to Showtime and go buy all the DVDs and Blu-rays and, you know. Yeah, it's a really awful finale, and we've already discussed that. How would you rank this, the seasons after that? So so eight would be worse. How would you rank the, rank the other seven? From worst to best, season eight, then season six, season five, then season three, season seven, season two season four, and then season one. 
And maybe season four is technically the best in terms of exploring the morality of the fact that we are rooting for a serial killer as a protagonist on television and that that is messed up and then that has serious consequences. Uh, even for us as viewers, we have to watch innocent people that he's associated with die. I think season one is per- my personal favorite because it just wasn't like nothing I'd ever seen. You know, it was dark, it was funny, it was bloody, it was scary. It was, as you said, they made us follow a character who is unsympathetic, but oddly compelling and it's a controversial topic. Serial killing is a form of justice and the fact that it didn't try and justify his actions like it did in season eight, the fact that the writers were aware that he was a monster. Right. Right. The fact that they didn't turn him to, that they didn't seem to view him as this dirty, hairy type vigilante, but just as this kind of sick, mentally damaged person, that was what made it so compelling. Yeah, which is what made it compelling for us as viewers, because we're damaged all in some ways, I'm sure, but we're not serial killers. It's aware of the fact that Dexter's basically talking to the viewer saying, you know I'm not like you, and I'm not going to justify why I do the things that I do, but here's a glimpse into my mind, and I find that to be a really, it was a really brave idea to follow through with and develop into a television show. I agree with you. In terms of my rankings, I would ultimately rank season six as the worst because as disappointing as season eight was and as awful as an, of an ending as it is, there's enough good ideas in there that are ultimately horribly executed, but, but there are enough compelling, thought-provoking ideas in there, whether it's what Vogel means to Dexter, what Zach could potentially mean to Dexter... There was so much potential that came up throughout the entire season that while it was very disappointing that none of it was ultimately uh, satisfying and, and, and that, that it never really was ultimately came together, I prefer it over season six because season six started out with potential and then it just got boring. And I just hated slogging through the second half of season six. It was just such a pain to watch. Season eight... It was at least a loopy, goofy train wreck. Yeah, it was an unintentional comedy in many ways. Right, so so as awful as it was, especially when compared with how the season began and what we thought we were going to end up with at, at the end of the show, I ultimately have to say that season six is the worst. I, I would rather watch season eight again over season six. So I would rank them six and eight. And then I would go 5-3-7, just like you. Huh. When it comes to those other three seasons, though, it's sort of a toss-up. Yeah. They're all very good in their own ways for different reasons. And it was it, it's, it's kind of hard for me to, to, to pick which one I, I prefer overall. I think I would rank them 1, 4, and then 2 as the best. Season two's your favorite. Wow. Yeah, that was something I didn't expect either. And then I sat down and really thought about it and, and realized, okay, you know, I, I as much as I liked season one, the ending was interesting, but it also felt a bit too soap opery at times, and I wasn't quite sure where they were going to take it. Season two, I just felt it just felt more consistent in tone, at least until the finale. And again, I just I loved how they raised the stakes so much. They they raised the stakes so high that honestly they should have saved that plot line with the Bay Harbor Butcher until later on, arguably. Oh yeah, exactly. Can you imagine if Deb found out about 
Dexter being a serial killer while the Miami PD was hunting him down on top of that, like with the Bay Harbor Butcher. Maybe they ultimately wouldn't have betrayed Deb's character and everything that she she stood for. You never know. Yeah, just like they just like they disposed of her in the way they dispose of all female characters. They either make him a damsel in distress or they kill him off, and they're all to serve Dexter's purpose. So if anyone listening hasn't seen the entire series, I think we can definitely agree that seasons one two and four are the best. Right. When it comes to season four, at first I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm going to list that as the best season. But then I realized, you know, as good as that season was, and as good as John Lithgow is, and, and as strong as the ending is, where Dexter goes home to find Rita dead and Harrison in a pool of her blood, such an incredible ending. It's one of those situations where what happened next in the series ultimately rendered that so inconsequential. That it, it's, yeah. it's sort of retroactively made me dislike it a little bit. It's a great moment, but it doesn't fit within the story that was ultimately told. And it, it didn't seem to ultimately matter all that much, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, but it, it got such a huge emotional response out of me. Right. And even if it ends up meaning nothing when it comes to the story as a whole it doesn't matter to me sometimes like it's it's what got me invested in this show and got me feel like i really knew these people as characters and when they're hurt it can you know like i never thought that i'd be feeling you know so bad for a serial killer on television before right it forces you to confront your own sense of ethics and morality when it comes to this sort of stuff and even if it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of the entirety of the story it doesn't matter it's what worked for me the most right season four is a really great season in and of itself in a weird way this sort of reminds me of, of season seven like the end of season seven in my opinion was also very strong but then ultimately they completely reversed the deborah character and so it it felt meaningless. Yeah, but I don't think that's fair to say that because in the episode, you know, looking at it as an episode by episode thing, I think that it, I mean, yeah, it's fair not to say that uh, it ultimately means nothing for Deb as a character, but as an episode of television, I right. feel like it's a, a really strong piece of television because yeah, sure it doesn't add up to anything overall, but that doesn't mean that that's bad. That means that what came after it that failed to deliver on that promise is what I believe deserves to be uh, scrutinized. Yes, and there's a lot of that in Dexter. There's so much of so so many unfulfilled promises. But but yeah, ultimately, when it comes to the top three seasons, I would go one four two with two being the best. Any given day, however, I might change my mind because because yeah. they're they're all those are just very good seasons overall. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even seven, I might occasionally throw up in there. Because there are moments of seven that are so great. So, uh, so yeah, I, th I, th I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Avenging Angels. Those are our rankings. So that's our look back over Dexter as a series. Charlie, any last thoughts? Thank you so much for inviting me to be your co-host. It's been an absolute blast. It's been fun. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Please write in. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Let us know what you ended up thinking of Dexter overall as a series. You can email us at avengingangels at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. And you can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our new 
TV-themed podcast, our weekly podcast, all about the third season of Homeland, uh, which is called The Briefing Room, and our podcast all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Cast. Uh, Charlie, where can people find you online? You can find the articles that I've written for your magazine, Emerson, at Issue. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash your mag Emerson. And you can follow me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H 91. You can find some of my writing at MovieMezzanine.com and Pathios.com on the blog Cinemeditations. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for Avenging Angels. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And normal people are so possible. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!